Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. So my guest today is Daniel Winkler. Full transparency, everyone. Daniel and I sat down and talked for an hour and a half the other day, and I didn't hit the record button. So it was still fun. It was still fun. It was a lot of fun, but you guys didn't get to listen to it. So we're, we're back today. So you can listen to what Daniel has to say. Daniel is the, what's the word I want to use? He has a website called mushrooming, which is an interesting name. And he's also a published author on mushrooms, a travel guide, I guess, for mushroom travel researcher. What is it with mushrooms that you don't do? How about that? Maybe that's the short question. Okay, I'm not much of a cultivator. Okay. So I'm I'm much more of a treasure hunter than the cultivator, you know. Okay. So what is it, the sweat of your brow or whatever? No, I'd rather go out in the woods and find treasures that's okay. that's more exciting. But that's that's okay. I, I, I really admire mushroom cultivators. It's it's like magic and but I just never got deeply into it. Okay. So you grew up in Europe. Obviously, your accent gives that away. And when we talked before, you said something, and I want to go back, and I'm going to probably reference a lot of our previous conversation with my questions today. But one of the things I'd like you to, to, to let's, let's talk about is you kind of painted a picture that in, in Europe, foraging is, is, a, is a very popular pastime. And here in North America, especially for mushrooms, there's a little bit maybe trepidation. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Why? Why do you? So you grew up as a as a young kid. Your parents took you out. I was reading your bio, and uh, I think you, you your bio says you went on your first mushrooming tour with at seven. You convinced a friend's parents to go out there. I, I think we should talk about that. But but as a young as a young kid, you were out picking mushrooms out out in the forest and we don't necessarily see that much of that here in in north america washington state why do you think that is so there's a couple factors so the one thing is that of course in europe with traditional societies the people have a much stronger connection to the locality and um are more connected to what the environment offers to them. That's one factor. And, but you see like here, blackberries in the Seattle area, that's how it should be. You know, there's something super tasty out there. You mm -hmm. know enough that you, that you're aware you're not gambling your life away. And there <laughs> you go and you have a great time. And yes, you get poked and, and smeared and everything, but it's so sweet and tasty. And so, you know, and that's a little bit with, the mushroom hunting thing is is uh you gotta know what you do and you know it's safe and and you're good to go and okay. the big problem is that the fear that that you kill yourself by picking mushrooms is so irrational you know and uh it's just it's 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 a really heavy burden uh british heritage and it's not all over europe there's there's quite interesting cultural differences between different European tribes and their love 
for mushrooms or also food substances, you know, and preferences. And there's wine cultures and beer cultures and, you know, and the different breads and so on. And so the mushroom too. And it's just, there's no other place like the UK when it comes to being completely ignorant uh, about mushrooms. Okay. And and that's our heritage here. Or you go to Australia too and, and New Zealand and, and, you know, for the people now, they discover they have mushrooms and they're so excited and it's so cool. It's like, how long are you there now? And, <laughs> you know, well, before we thought we're going to kill ourselves and, uh, oh my yeah, gosh. so, okay. An right. interesting aspect out here is also native heritage and, you know, uh, European takeover. And um, unfortunately, you know, whenever the colonial power showed up here, the native cultures were hit so hard already by the viruses that, you know, what are the figures that 80, 90% of the population was already dead before uh, the Europeans pushed in. And with that, so much knowledge and culture got lost. And, uh, you know, and the people didn't come here and say, hey, cool, what mushrooms are you guys foraging? So, you know, there is very little record of that. And also here, especially in the Pacific Northwest, mushroom season is when salmon season is. And that huh. is hard to compete, I think. Oh. That explains why mushrooms are not as uh, as sought after as one would think knowing how many chanterelles and matsutake and bullets and morels and all what we have out here um i, I think you know the the salmon made it a little too easy for the people <laughs> okay so i'm going to read part of your long your a longer fungal resume and i'm going to stop because if you can't tell words escape me sometimes but i'm going to ask you to fill this in danielle grew up in munich barbaria and started hunting What is the name of this mushroom that is your Stein pills? Okay. And these are your favorite edible mushroom. Right. Uh, so this is the King Bully Porcini. Okay. And we have plenty of them here. We have uh, five different species that are very similar. Even the identical, uh, one of the identical species we have here too. Okay. Or at least the taxonomists have not dared to change the name yet. And um, yeah, and like you live in Venaci and oh man, the Spring King is one of these uh, bullets is, you know, you just have to drive half an hour, an hour and, and there you are in Spring King heaven in June. No, uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to drive a half hour. Which way am I going? Um, you go back into the mountains. So towards Leavenworth then? Yeah, towards Leavenworth or up any other of the the... The rivers that come down to the Columbia, okay. and there in the pine fir habitat, you find in spring when there's enough moisture in the ground, um, you find these really firm, big spring kings, and okay. um, easy to identify, very tasty. And I already know there's somebody in Venetia that's gonna be really upset when 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 that is shared like that but that's <laughs> that's common knowledge in the mushroom community and you know there's good years there's bad years um and it's 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 all about timing and, and locality so you got to put your time in to figure it out but once you get the hang of it you know you can 
you can use that year after year. And of course, the best is you team up with people who have knowledge, you search the internet, you get yourself the right books. Um, and, uh, and then you're good to go. And maybe not at the first time when you try the first time, but if you are persistent, you'll, you'll score. And, you know, in the end, you just look back and say, wow, yeah, I was hard in the beginning, but once you get the hang, it's easy. Okay. So the last thing on your bio page, two questions. There's a photo of you and you're holding a large mushroom in your hand. Mm -hmm. What is that mushroom? So that is again, the King Bolide. Okay. And um, that's in the Cascades and okay. that's hiking. What was that? That was late August, early September. So these, whenever we get early rains uh, or summer rains, August, uh, early September, that's just perfect for these mushrooms. They like it. They like it a little warmer than, than many of the other fall mushrooms. All right. Now this is the important question. In that photograph, you're wearing a tie dyed shirt and I cannot, yeah. I cannot make out. <laughs> What is on the shirt? I actually removed that. I don't know. I was a fool, but it, it's a dark star orchestra. Okay. All right. So yeah, I do enjoy that's a band that's <laughs> been playing, reenacting Grateful Dead shows. So a tribute band. By now I heard we have about 800 Grateful Dead tribute bands. Are you kidding and, me? Yeah. The music is alive. You know, wow. it's. I, it's wherever you go in the U.S., uh, you have in every city, uh, you have bands where the music never stops and just keeps going. And Darkster Orchestra were one of the early ones. And uh, last uh, September, I was lucky enough to go home to Munich, visit family and also join Darkster Orchestra redoing the Europe 72 tour. So, oh, which wow. was nice guaranteed for our shows so yes yes that yes. would be okay so yeah. <laughs> we both know that we both enjoy the grateful dead because of our previous our previous non-recorded conversation but but daniel and i have this uh, a shared affinity for the uh, jam band uh music and uh, the grateful dead and so and the mushrooms uh, do figure there too right they um, do so now the other I, I guess i lied there's one other thing i need some clarity on so you're, you describe the, the Steinpils pills as your favorite edible mushroom. Now, why add the word edible? Oh, because, well, we have so many mushrooms out here. And, you know, let's say we have maybe a record of 4,000, 5,000 mushrooms okay. in the Pacific Northwest. So that's what you can see with your eyes. Right. If you go microscopic, oh, we don't know what we have, but many, many more. And, but, you know, this is like what has been accumulated over a century or so. So when we do our mushroom shows in our mycological societies in fall, and, you know, the members go out and pick mushrooms and, you know, in Seattle, some might drive to the coast, some drive to the mountains to bring mushrooms. In Seattle, we are happy when we get... What's our number? Usually, is it 160 or 250, something like that. Wow. In Eugene, they get 100 mushrooms more per year because they have all these oaks and ashes. So they have more diversity. Okay. So, you know, it, it's it's much more realistic to talk about hundreds of mushrooms uh, wow. when you go out in the, in the woods. And But out of the hundreds, you know, I've eaten... I've eaten uh, over 200 mushrooms here, maybe 300. And uh, so 
there's way more edible mushrooms than there's really poisonous or toxic mushrooms. And there's so many where you just don't bother because they're too small or, you know, just who knows. And uh, uh, in other countries, we do have protected mushroom species. In the U.S., we don't have any legislation to that. Washington State has one protected mushroom, which is a giant polypore that gets four or five feet across and is only in old growth forests and oh. ritual porous and... Um, you know, since we have taken out, what is it, 95% of the old growth forest, of course, that hits a mushroom like that. Right. Um, so non-edible mushrooms, there's a lot of beauty and very interesting uh, ecological functions, also medicinal functions. A whole bunch of our medicinal mushrooms are extremely bitter. And so, you know, <laughs> that disqualifies them from uh, from the cooking part. Yeah. Um Though some people, you know, add that to make teas and coffees like reishi, the Ganoderma, um, the lacquer conch, and then drink these extremely bitter teas. And, um, you know, we can get used to all of it. Just like, well, nobody started drinking coffee, beer, or, or wine and say this tastes great at the first take, right? Now, I liked coffee from the very beginning. You I did? I, I did, Yes. But truthfully, I didn't like beer from the very beginning. Yeah, no <clears throat> coffee. I, I like the smell, but I'm now drinking since two years for writing the book. I started to drink it in the afternoon. Um, so I had a productive session in the afternoon. And um, it's a powerful drug. My God, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. I, I, I was impressed and it really helps, helps me uh, focus and being productive in the afternoon. Okay. Um, but you know, I don't want to have, I don't want to end up like 10 cups a day or five cups uh, a day. Oh, or that's, so. that's you, you, you be fine at 10 cups a day. It, you can I'll do that. my green tea. I do my 10 cups a day. 10 no cups problem. of green tea. Okay. Yeah. See, tea hits me differently than coffee does. That's interesting. Okay. So I've now bounced over to your presentations page where one of the things I think that you do that's kind of interesting is you're also your own photographer. Oh yeah. It's, it's. There's, I love photographing mushrooms. I mean, there's the bonus. They don't run away. Yes, you have to find them. <laughs> okay. The wind is most of the time, no problem. Like, you know, when I try to take orchid pictures and then the wind moves these things, it's just such a challenge. Um, it's really harsh on the equipment because you're out there when it's wet and right. hands get dirty and cameras get dirty too. So... Um, but it's, it's just amazing what you can see and, and, you know, and then with macro photography, so when you really can see details and now I got into photo stacking where, you know, I take maybe 10 or of a little thing, I take 50 or 80 different photos. And then with a software, um, Helicon software, then that makes one picture out of it. And every tiny detail is in focus. Like your eye can't even focus on a thing like that. And, wow. and that's, there's just such beauty. And then I drag it through Photoshop, work on contrasts and, and colors and light. And, and then, you know, it's just amazing, uh, you know, what's out there and how you can see it. And, uh, and, you know, when so many people, we, go through life and don't even know there's mushrooms. And if they maybe see one, they step on it because it's a danger to their survival. Um, 
But once people start stopping and looking, it adds so much enjoyment to their life. It's amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you going back to what something you said, the one the one mushroom in Washington State that's protected, you, you said that it, it grows to four feet across? Yeah, four or five feet across. It's a polypore, so it's so a how- conch, very tough. It's very hairy on top, and it grows on ancient giant, uh, I don't know if it's Douglas firs, um, some conifera. I've mm-hmm. only seen it once, and we keep where we find them we don't share the locations besides a few people who work on these things so that nobody goes there and you know gus trophy hunting and so down below it's even hard to recognize because it's so big and it gets so old that lots of debris will fall on top of it um so 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 how long so how long does it take to grow to that size yeah Oh, I, I would guess decades, you know. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So because it's 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 a conch, it's a woody mushroom, so it adds on each year. Okay. And it adds on a layer, and it gets a little wider. And oh. um, so uh, like agaricon is another famous conch, and that can definitely get 50, 80 years old, and it adds each year a little bit. And um, so, you know, but we have, on the other side, we have, regular mushrooms cap and gill mushrooms that are just up there for a couple hours you know and they just grow their fruiting body they mm-hmm. release their spores and then they disintegrate um so see that's my 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 very you know my very layman's knowledge about mushrooms is that that's what i was yeah. expecting and so i was trying to figure out how this thing would grow four feet big White, it's more white. Well, white, but how yeah. it would do that in a very brief period of time. I had no idea that uh, there are mushrooms that that last for years, let alone decades. So, that, well, so that's seen, kind of mind blowing. You've, you've seen the conks on trees, these shell fungi, you know, like the red belted conch. You see these things growing out of a dying tree that looks very woody and rounded, like a some people call them hoof shaped. And so these things, they, they are perennial. Some of them are perennial and, you know, but not, I mean, often the tree dies, but once the mushroom is in there, the, they eat the tree and then the tree will disintegrate and, you know, it all collapses and um, they have done their job. And so uh, wow. to, you got to have a special, as a parasite, you have to have a special strategy that you keep your host alive for for decades, right? Right, right. Okay. That's so, uh, not all of them manage that. Well, since we're all about Washington State and you, you, were, you, you were born in Germany, what brought you to, to Washington? So my wife... Um, moved me over here um we met before in colorado and um originally i came to the us to follow the grateful dead around so um discovered them in 1981 when they were touring europe and um didn't know what it is but fell in love with it and (laughs) um nobody would talk about them you know i mean anybody who heard grateful dead thought huh heavy metal you know it's the years of heavy metal and in in uh, you know, I was born in 64, so this was in the early 80s, and the media in Europe would not write about the Grateful Dead. I mean, that was, you know, that oh. was in the early 70s that they would pay attention. And so that brought me over here, and I definitely fell in love with the 
environment, the openness of the people. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just, um, you know, in Europe, everybody sits on their piece of land for how long and even if there's movement, but, you know, and then especially the Germans are much more careful in reaching out. You make a friend and you have that for much longer. And then when they come to the US, they get all upset. I thought I made these great friends and now they, they're not interested in me anymore. No, they were just friendly when you met them, you know? Okay. <laughs> and anyway, so that brought me here to the US and, and I'm so happy here with having all these vast forests and the nature and, you know, still living here in, in Seattle suburbia, having the eagles fly over my yard. I mean, right. you know, you don't get that in Europe anymore. And yes, there's a few eagles here and there still, and they're coming back luckily, but um yeah the mushrooms much less competition i mean a lot of people are really fed up how many people now pick mushrooms and when i got here and i just went on the highway took the first exit went in the woods and found tons of chanterelles that's not happening that way anymore that was in the mid 90s okay. um, and i did my fair share teaching hundreds and hundreds of people um often in connection with the Puget Sound Mycological Society and, and our classes, how to find edible mushrooms. And that's perfectly fine. There is so much in the woods. Okay, now you got to go a little further, you know, it's not enough to go your 200 yards. But if you go a mile in, there's no competition. And unless you know, maybe, okay, it's a it's a like, Oregon Matsutake commercial collection area then people go deep or morel but still there's so much for everyone it's mm -hmm. it's just beautiful important question best grateful dead show <laughs> in europe and best grateful dead show in north america um, hey scott when, when are we going to talk about uh, my book huh? oh we will we will <laughs> but you got to answer this question because this is you are one of the few people i've ever had the, the luxury of chatting with that's seen the dead in europe so, so that yeah is to me well in the u.s i i really like the environment i think it was park west utah mm -hmm. um yeah. september 84 just outside in the mountains you know i didn't right. go to tell you right I didn't catch when they play Telluride. I was a fool. Um, I saw the end of that tour. That would have been the place, definitely. I really liked a uh, high school gym in Augusta, Maine. Um, that was just so small. Uh, that you was got to cool. see that show? Yeah, yeah. Awesome morning oh. view. I mean, they just got oh. out all the best songs. And uh, okay. And then in Europe, um, maybe maybe Berlin ninety. Um, because I was living in Berlin and I have bought um, for all my friends and, and all the other deadheads we know, knew and know 25 tickets in the first two rows, you know, just oh, going okay. up to the counter there with cash and getting the first two rows. Okay. So that was, that was pretty cool. And um, all right. Yeah. Okay. It's Ventura, California on the beach was, was, was awesome too. That's okay. So your latest book. <laughs> fruits of the forest it's a field guide to pacific northwest edible mushrooms this is how many books have you written now um that's my first proper book i did a whole bunch of mushroom fold outs before and wrote dozens of uh articles scientific articles and and popular stuff so um 
yeah so i had to do that you know it's it's always when you just end up uh uh writing you know the smaller more concise stuff that uh i was scared it's big you know it takes so much time uh it's it, it's it's a lot of work and i did it all alone which which is just you know oh you know there's describing mushrooms i mean the the, the nice part writing about them you know infusing it with all my background knowledge with all the ethnomycology about mushroom appreciation in other cultures and how you best work with it and you know fun anecdotes i mean this was also awesome to do but that's done quickly you know that's right. flows but then when it comes to the scientific descriptions you know where you just gotta be precise and you gotta want to find a balance between not making it accessible without uh you know without leaving out important details and then finding the right terminology. I mean, so much in in mycology and botany is terminology. And all these words, which most foragers around the world don't have the vocabulary. You don't need to be able to put a word to the little details you're looking at. But that's science, and especially because the science started at a point where printing was basically unaffordable. And by now, you know, we can have images on all our devices and we can take them with us in the forest. So we can do so much more with uh, recognition by eyesight. And that's what we've trained for millions of years to recognize things. Just imagine if we would start scientifically describing faces to recognize people. I mean, just impossible to write down the differences between the faces of your friends right. so that you, by reading the description, you can say, oh, this got to be this friend. This got to be that friend. Right, right. No, but that's... with a with a one view, you know exactly who it is because that's what we trained for evolutionary. And so also mushroom hunting, any kind of foraging, we trained for millions of years to recognize organisms that support us and to recognize organisms we better stay away from and we just got a little bit out of touch with that and this is not so hard to get back to it and one key information is that you know do i deal with something where there is dangerous lookalikes mm -hmm. and like with the blackberry hey we nobody tells us watch out because there's a deadly red nightshade berry that might it's twa it might be growing right in middle of the the blackberries um you know well one is purple the other one is red so not a big challenge well it could grow with your strawberries or your raspberries um but that's just the the stigma mushrooms have that everything is 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 so dangerous and it's your life on the line and um, but berry picking is just something, luckily, we kept through, we kept up, and we all enjoy it, and we don't worry about our kids picking berries, right? Right. Um, actually, one neighbor got really upset when my five-year-old daughter taught their kids to eat salal berries, <laughs> and, you know, because it wasn't strawberries, it wasn't raspberries, and, and, and so they were totally alarmed that our little daughter taught that other kid uh, that she can eat salal berries, but um, at first we didn't get it when she just described it to us, we didn't realize what it was, so she had to take us there and show us, and okay, yeah, yeah, we told you, Daya, and well, you're right, so 
even a five-year-old, you know, can can be a perfect forager. And because, right. um, you know, uh, that's just what we evolutionarily have been done till we got into this whole agriculture thing that, you know, messed up a lot of things and uh, helped us to multiply way beyond sustainability. Right. So I got some questions about the book for the process of it. But the first question is, what was your reaction when you saw it for the first time? And where did, have you seen it in the wild, so to speak? Where was the first place you've seen it on a shelf? Um, well, I got a picture from the publishers. Um, and so I saw a picture and then it took quite a while. It took way longer than I had expected um, to actually get my hand on it. So I was back in Germany visiting with my 92-year-old father, and I was really hoping to get him a book, um, you know, not knowing if I see him again. And that unfortunately could have easily worked out, but it didn't work out. And then it took, then I got back here, and then I still had to do, you know, phone calls. Hey, how come? Where's the book? And then finally, and it was just so nice, you know, I mean, it's 400 pages, so it, it has content and yes, it's not really a pocket guide. Um, and my thing, I mean, as we talked about, I love doing pictures and um, oh. I made, I, I made sure that these, that these pictures are big enough. Um, actually the whole printing got holed up because the pictures, it, 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 the so-called final layout were too small. And I said, no, we got to go back. We got to use more of the space, a field guide. You know, it's it's all about uh, visibility of these of these mushrooms. And um, so, yeah. And then it's just so nice, you know, having the pile and the colors are beautiful. Uh, the cover, I, I love green as a color. I like to put on green clothes too. And, and so it's... Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's it's a beautiful book. And I know you. I told you this when we were talking before, but as I keep flipping through it, it just, it really, I'm a guy who likes to stay inside and this is making me want to go, go up the, up the, the road a little bit and go wander around. These, the photography is beautiful. The descriptions are clear. And uh, for somebody who doesn't know anything, I feel like, especially as like I'm, I'm looking at the chanterelles at the moment and uh, it's just kudos to you and to the publisher for this. Thank you. So have you seen the book at a bookstore yet? I, um, I did, I think the first time, where did I see it? I don't know. So it was coming out a little late and, and my focus honestly is, is, you know, getting my book to wherever the mushroom people are. So I made sure, you know, I go to these mushroom, uh, uh, weekends or the, the, um, you know, in fall when all these mushroom clubs, mycological societies, we put up, our annual shows and we show mm -hmm. mushrooms and there's mushroom cooking and there's mushroom paraphernalia and mushroom books for sale. And um, so uh, that's really where, you know, where, where it showed up, but it was only at this point me because I had that direct connection to the publishers and mm -hmm. in the stores, 
Um, I think at Borders, I went three or four times to Borders and say, hey, guys, do you have that book? You really should have the book. And they had like four or five mushroom books here in Curtin. I was impressed, the diversity. And then I bucked them for three months till it finally showed up. And um, so uh, it's it, it doesn't really, you know, didn't work the way how you would expect it. That I was just, oh, there it's in the bookstores. And and also for me, um, you know, for economically, it's so different if I sell it through my webpage or directly or mm -hmm. if it's sold online, uh, you know, where at this point I just get 10, 12 percent of the wholesale. So I'm down to a dollar twenty, a dollar fifty a book. So my my struggle here is right now that I get it out that I mail it out and um, but you know it's it's it will be in all the bookstores and I get such great feedback and I went also to a couple bookstores I go to small bookstores when I'm out there mushroom hunting somewhere in the back country and I show it to them and then mm -hmm. they get excited and they they order it and so on so um, huh. but you know it's it's just got out in in. In November, it hit the market, so it's 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 very short, and uh, so next fall really is when it's gonna be everywhere. So I don't know if this will make you feel better, but your your struggles. I, I've talked to a fair number of authors, and what you just described is is pretty typical from what yeah. I've heard from other authors. The funniest thing I've heard to me, this is funny. The funniest thing I heard so far is there's a a guy in the Seattle area who writes uh he's he's got some books out on the prohibition era in seattle oh cool and i asked him i said so where was the first place you saw your book in you know in in real life and he goes oh bartell drugs <laughs> and i'm like what he goes yeah i walked into my local bartell drugs and it was on the shelf and i would have never in a million years guessed bartell drugs would be the the source of well that's that's a little off topic, but that's one of my beefs here live, living in the U.S. We have only so few drugstores and they hardly have any drugs. You need a specialized Band-Aid and, oh, no, we don't have that. But get your soda pop, get your printer paper, get anything. But really what drugstores should be about because the margin is not good enough that they offer you some specialized Band-Aids, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But well, it's cool if they have good books, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you're doing, kind of a a, a promo tour for the book, right? You're 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 on, you're doing a roadshow. I yeah. I mean, I uh, try to whatever I get offered at this point, I take, which basically I did before too. I mean, yes, I want to be paid, but um, I've been doing for. 10, 15 years here, going to the libraries, doing presentations. I was also in Wenatchee uh, some years ago and Tenasket and. Uh, Curlew. So oh. I, I did some of the remote places in Eastern Washington, really enjoyed that. It was also spring king season. So on the way back, I got me a couple spring kings too. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and I mean, the libraries are just awesome in the US, you know, this is basically people, this is how socialism, how beautiful socialism can be. There's a library. It's not about making money. It's about serving us all. It's pooling our resources and really educating and and entertaining and providing access like the computers and so on to the people. I mean, this is as good as we can do as people working together. And of course, as an author, I could say, well, I want people to buy my book and not get it at the library. But no, libraries are awesome. And, and this is really what we have to 
remember ourselves, what we are capable as a society, that we can work together and really make everybody happy. And so I do a lot of library tours. I always um, give talks to the um, mycological societies. And um, so now with the book, it's the same and a little bit more and, and adding some bookstores like in, in Kirkland, uh, Book Tree, which is a tiny store, which, you know, we really got to keep these little stores mm -hmm. alive. You know, I mean, uh, we're killing ourselves in our uh, need for comfort and in our uh, frugality. You know, we need diversity, economic and ecological and cultural diversity and bringing, you know, giving all our money to Bezos is just we're killing ourselves. You know, it's so I try to stay away as much as I can from these monopolists and and um, I don't offer any of my my other field guides or my merchandise on on any of uh, Amazon. I mean, yes, it's super convenient. They have great ideas, but you know, our our legal framework is not ready to handle that. It's not willing to handle that. And so we need to make our choices. And I'm in the lucky position that I can say, okay, I can pay a buck more and go over there. And I don't need everything uh, the next day. And um, so, okay. So I do a book tour and I really love it. Uh, having done the years with Zoom where you don't see the people, maybe you see a couple of tiny pictures, but you gotta, I gotta remind myself, there's people out there, you know, right. don't just download information. Except for in Curlo. Curlo, yeah, very different. I mean, that was definitely an awesome night. Even if I didn't find the town first, I drove twice through it and I didn't realize that was it. And my <laughs> cell phone wouldn't work. So, um, yeah, I want to, I mean, oh, it's just such a beautiful corner, you know, and, and that's one of the things, mushroom hunting, to get in these corners into Washington, um, you know, into, into places. Uh, there's so much beauty out there. It's such a huge place, you know, and, and having grown up in Munich, Germany, you know, I mean, you drive an hour and you're in the next town with half a million people in Augsburg, you know, which been around for 2000 years or two and a half thousand years. And then everything is so close and so many people and here is so much space and so much nature. Uh, it's just amazing. So I've never been to Europe yet. So my, like I told you before, my daughter lives in, in um, Austria and, you know, when I hear her and I hear people, you know, I've you know, you, like you said, 30 minutes away, it's another big city. And I'm so used to when, when the, when the entirety of Germany would fit in the state of Oregon. Right. And then 80 million people, 84 yeah, million people. That's so, crazy. To that me. is crazy. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's kind of mind boggling to me when I, to try to wrap my brain around it. So the book, so you're selling the book directly off your website, which we're going to put a link in into um, in the show notes so people can look at that. But you also have your your field guides are also on your website too for sale, correct? So people yeah. can pick those. Okay, great. But the other thing that you're doing, which isn't related to Washington State, but it's it's so cool. I think we need to we need to make an exception. You're going on some adventure tours this year to Bataan and Colombia. Yeah. When I think of mushrooms, I don't think of Colombia. <laughs> and the Colombians won't think of it either. So okay. that's so it's it's why not on the on the radar there usually. Why Colombia? 
Um, because I have a um, mycologist friend, and um, I when I grew up, I had a guy in my class who was born in Colombia, German family, but they had emigrated to Colombia some generations ago. And then his mother said, this is too crazy. I raised my kids back in Munich. And so I always wanted to go there, heard crazy stories about it. And then I um, was introduced to a mycologist, Tatiana San Juan, who got her PhD on cordyceps, which are these really bizarre parasitic tiny fungi that take over insects and then they grow uh, a little fungus out of the insect. And <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> right now people have this watch all the last of us, which is a, you know, uh, uh, which made the leap that the cordyceps could infect humans and cordyceps controls the activity of the insect once it's infected. It makes it go into certain position. Um, for example, an ant and the ant will bite into a leaf or into a tiny twig and then the fungus will dissolve the muscles that move the mandible, the jaw of the insect. So the insect cannot let go anymore. So it is fixed to a branch or a twig and then the fungus will start it takes over the whole body and the non-essential organs and, and uh, tissue first, but then once it is fixed to its final rest, it will digest everything of the insect inside. The outside, the exoskeleton survives, so you don't really see what's going on. And then these fruiting bodies grow out of the neck or the head or in between uh, uh, body parts, the softer areas. And they can be very colorful and um and but it controls the movements of the insect so this is very strange and of course uh you know i mean i've been doing this since 1997 i think i ran into my first cordyceps in tibet where it's the main source of rural income and i did years and years of research on the socioeconomics the the ecology the ethnomycology of of cordyceps so i was extremely lucky running into that huh. and um that's how i turned into an ethnomycologist researching mushrooms and culture and the chinese are crazy about this as a medicine um and you know you pay the weight by weight it's more expensive than gold and so it is crazy and so this cordyceps thing is there's not another region on this globe where people make so much of their money through a fungus. And, you know, it is for our, from our perspective, it's anything but attractive. You know, it is a larva <laughs> that grows a brown fungus out of the head, which is as thick as a pencil when fresh and maybe three inches long. And the insect itself is maybe two to three inches. So it's relatively small. It's incredibly hard to spot because it's brown and it just starts growing in spring when life comes back on the mountain meadows around tree line and above tree line. So people live in the cold mountains uh, in camps for four to six weeks and pick that and make in six weeks more money than they make the whole year doing whatever. Ugh. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Doesn't sound like your lifestyle. That's not something I'm going to sign up for. Yeah. So, and mm. I was the first, you know, the first non-Tibetan, non-Chinese who really ran into that and wrote about it right. and, and had the possibility doing the research, you know, asking, uh, asking collectors how much they get paid, talking to the in-between dealers and then the big dealers and, you know, working on quantities and mapping it out and stuff like that, um, which, you know, working in Tibetan areas was already when we had a window where it was possible in the late 90s and the early 2000s was already hard enough, but I got really lucky and and, and knew the right people to do that research. And, you know, when I first wanted to publish that, in a prestigious ecological scientific journal, um, uh, Ambio in in Sweden, they turned my article down. Said, "Well, this is fascinating, but how could that guy get that data? You know, that's got to be fake." And it's like, come on. Anyways, you know, I didn't I didn't do it as a PhD, so that was another thing. Um, and but it was just so. This is how I really got scientifically deep into into fungi and and where I had something with substance. And that's when I started out, you know, presenting on these, on, on the caterpillar fungus or Yartsa gumbu, the Tibetan call it. Um, and, you know, also researched all the other edible mushrooms and the mushroom markets in Tibet and brought home these beautiful, colorful pictures. And, uh, you know, was right there witnessing how, how um, with the economic opening of China, how, how outsiders would come into the Tibetan areas and tell the people, hey, guys, you have morels, you know that? And morels were not big on on, on the Tibetan radar when it came to edibility. And um, so, you know, like it would be Chinese Muslims who are often the itinerant dealers. They would go there and say, hey, we pay you, let's say, 50 bucks a pound if you bring us these. And so that make, gets the people really excited. And then, but that's only till people figure out what it is and then say, okay, now we got to get real and we pay you $10 a pound. Mm -hmm. And then people got really upset and uh, morels happen to be hollow. And then though people start putting rocks inside to drive up the weight and then the dealers <laughs> get really upset. And so this is the beginning, you know, how you teach people, hey, look for this mushroom. You might not be into it, but there is a price to it. And now uh, morel hunting in spring for the international market is a thing. And a Tibetan collector gets the same amount per pound as a collector out here gets on our uh, in our burns. That's where people collect commercially morels. Whenever there was a forest fire, the next mm -hmm. spring, um, assuming there was enough snowmelt or enough rain, uh, the morels will pop like crazy. And that's where commercial picking pays off. And, um, and you know, it's a global market. You get the same amount, fairly the same amount for a, for American picker or a Tibetan picker. Uh, luckily in Tibet, you can probably buy 10 times the amount of uh, tea for the same price. Uh, coffee might not work. You pay the same as you pay here. It's, <laughs> nobody drinks it there. But that's, yeah, that's fascinating. So I want to, I think what I want to like work our way towards wrapping this up with, if somebody in our area, in Washington state, 
is now getting intrigued and interested in learning more about mushrooms. What do you recommend is a, a good first step? Yeah. So it's the best is there's a handful of mushrooms that are much easier and they are fairly safe to collect. And so the chanterelle, we live in chanterelle heaven. Um, there's no other region on this globe that has as much chanterelle biomass as we have out here. And especially in our lowland Douglas fir hemlock forests. Mm -hmm. um, forget about red cedars, forget about maples. They don't have good edible mushrooms on their roots. Um, hemlock Douglas forests full of chanterelles if the conditions are right. So when there has been enough rain, when the rains came back in fall, uh, two, three weeks later. Um, and all you got to know is you look for these yellow orange things and you can do great in any plantation forest. You can do great in oak growth forest or in older grow, uh, older forests where it gets often much harder if there's lots of sword ferns um, that, you know, that you don't see much. So these barren plantations, it's so easy to see them. And, you know, then it's just a handful of things. you got to compare it to a picture. you got to feel how hefty it is, how it has a rubbery consistence, how firm it is, how it has a fruity apricot-like odor. And then you look at the gill-like folds or ribs, you know, that run down the outside of the cap and down the stem. And, you know, it's it's really no rocket science and uh you can learn it you know go in a store see what they when they sell chanterelles and then so helpful to join your local mycological society or mushroom club you know which here we have in bellingham bremerton seattle everett olympia chihalis vancouver eugene salem uh arcada down the coast and then wow. Um, Spokane, unfortunately, imploded years ago and nobody has restarted it. Uh, we do also uh, people working in, in the North Kitsap uh, Olympic Peninsula, uh, also trying to get a club going and oh, Vancouver, Victoria, and so on. So, wow. um, you know, where there's a lot of people, you usually find a mushroom club and then in other areas where there's commercial picking, like around Mount Adams or so, you know, you you, you can see it. You go there and and, uh, and and see, oh, there's people buying mushrooms. Oh, whenever you see a sign, look, oh, what they're buying. Okay. So when I travel, like with my mushrooming, we always go to local markets and check out what's on the market. What do people sell? Um, in a country like Colombia, well, we know from one market in the country where there's some wild mushrooms sold. Otherwise, nowhere. It's okay. just, there's not a history. A Spanish colonialists did not bring any interest in mushrooms. And But you go to a place like Bhutan, which is uh, in the Himalayas, informed by Tibetan culture, or Nepal, um, China on the markets, Eastern Europe, Europe, and you see what is traded and you know what's the best edible mushrooms and so whenever uh people if you like traveling you like mushrooms go to the veggie markets check out what's on the markets and ask the people where's that stuff coming from okay i know one thing i left out in your book that we talked about the first call <sighs> section three 
Recipes. Recipes. Yeah. So, I mean, as much fun as it is finding mushrooms, because each time, you know, you get this hit of, I know, is it adrenaline or whatever, you know, it's just bliss excitement. And often I get the the privilege taking out people for the first time mushroom hunting. And it is just so refreshing and so beautiful when you see the joy when people find a mushroom. And, and so that is definitely a, a peak experience, but then you got to do something with the mushroom, right? And so you got to do your due diligence. You've got to figure out what you have. You never, ever should eat something you are not 100% sure. Even if you don't poison yourself, the fear you can instill in yourself is really awful. Been there, done that. Um, don't, you know, you got to be sure what you're doing. And it's very easy these days with all the good books we have. My book made it even more easier now for the Pacific Northwest. And then you can go online and look at 40 pictures of that mushroom. And one got to be your match. Got to be a real, real match. Before we had one book and who knows, you know. It's right. just like having a picture of Scott, 12 years old. And then I got to recognize him now. How do you going to do that, right? Yeah. Um, unless there's a big ward somewhere, right? <laughs> and so anyways, um. And then you got to cook. And that's really such a beautiful connection to mushrooms. And a lot of our mushroom books, good ID books, the authors are not into eating their mushrooms. And I guess that gives them more time to work on their taxonomy. But, you know, most of the people who buy mushroom books, they want to eat their mushrooms. And then there's so little information in these field guides. So I really came from the perspective, we don't need another Pacific Northwest field guide that describes uh you know another amanita or another russula um but where where is what can you do with these mushrooms and you know while with a chanterelle or king bullied you can't do much wrong they have a great taste and great consistency and you can prepare them in many many ways but there's a whole range of mushrooms where when you like the slippery jacks it's a bullied relative that has a really good taste. Bullity, earthy, you know, bullity is like nutty. It's not as sweet as the king bullied, but it really has a rich aroma. And most people just say, well, if you dry it and powder it, you get a good, you can use it. Because when you just slice them and you fry them, they turn into total mush. Mm, okay. But that only happens if you put oil in your frying pan. The oil seals the flesh of the mushroom and then the moisture can't is not released is locked in and everything turns mushy now if you dry fry them which you should do with any moist mushroom and we have a lot of moist mushrooms when we pick in october right right you just dry fry them meaning you cut them to size as you like them you put them in a frying pan without any oil or butter and they release their water 90 percent of the mushroom is water they don't release all of it, but maybe half of it. And if it's a lot, you put that aside for making a sauce because there's a lot of taste in there. Mm -hmm. And if it's a little bit, you just let it evaporate. And once the mushroom starts sticking in your frying pan, then you add butter or oil. And mm -hmm. then you have the consistency of the mushroom has improved substantially. So there's no mushiness anymore. And, you know, I think mushroom tastes really benefit a lot from caramelization and what's the other thing the mine heart process 
when proteins get uh, roasted or fried, it mm. really brings out the taste of mushrooms. And so even, even with button mushrooms, if you just slice them and put them in a frying pan, um, one layer only, and you mm -hmm. brown one side and you flip them over. If you've never done that, you will say, wow, I had no idea how tasty these things can be and how that mushy factor can be really uh, reduced substantially. Okay. And um, so, and then I have, um, it's 50 pages out of the 400 pages. It's, uh, I counted it yesterday or day before. It's 22 full recipes where it's really explained uh, in detail what to do and then always at the end there's also some alternatives you can substitute this for that uh, you can use these or that mushroom or do it this and that way um, I also uh, talk about how you can do all these things gluten-free um, mm -hmm. because my wife has to be gluten-free um, and but you know not sacrificing here uh, in the recipe and then I have another 20 um inspirations where i don't give you every step you know mix this with that but i just tell you okay you know this is the idea this is basically find this recipe and then this is the mushroom uh twist how you how you integrate your mushrooms well into it and um yeah because it's it's really and already before in the individual description of the 180 species of mushrooms i'm dealing with um uh, which many of them won't be named edible in other books um I, I give hints how to prepare them the best way because that's really crucial well how do i want to say this i'm, I'm looking at your con the table of contents on your book and i don't know that i'm going to want to try anything from these puff balls and stink horns category i just <laughs> don't know that that's gonna that's gonna jump up for me but i do love like chanterelles love those um portobellos those are fine button mushrooms <sighs> i don't i'm not a big fan of that factory farming that they do because it just stinks for miles and miles and miles and around. there's also they're using if it's conventional they're using a whole bunch of uh, insecticides because you know yeah. mushrooms yeah. when you do it on that scale any little bit of contamination is a big challenge and so right. um, you're doing much better getting your health benefits from mushrooms and there's a lot of them. I mean there's incredible research that really tells us we would do so much better eating many mushrooms and um you know they they, they have so 90 percent water and then you have 10 percent non-water and out of these 10 percent edible mushrooms 30 to 40 percent protein and you mm -hmm. have the complete spectrum you have all the amino acids you need you have minerals uh you have vitamin d just like we produce vitamin D when the sun hits us, mushrooms do the same. If you dry your mushrooms in the sun, they are loaded with vitamin D because the agastrol that turns into vitamin D is in every cell wall of the mushroom. And the more you, the more surface you create exposing to the UV light, the more vitamin D you get. And then there are the food that is richest in fiber which is so important. One of our main problems is we don't get enough fibers anymore. And the fibers move toxins out of our system. They clean our intestinal system. And, you know, they're soluble and unsoluble fibers and mushrooms are loaded. Like, no, they do better than vegetables. And in addition, they have uh, polysaccharides. These are big sugars that are really helpful 
for our health. And one part of it is the body sees, oh, there's a fungus and it, it reacts with the immune reaction. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps our immune system. It activates our immune system in a positive way. And we even have medicinal mushrooms like reishi, Ganoderma, that will help our immune system to adjust. If it's overactive, it will reduce the activity. And if it's not performing strong enough, it will increase it. Um, we have research out of Singapore that elderly people, when they eat two portions of mushrooms a week, that the likelihood of mild cognitive impairment goes down by 50%. Wow. I mean, you know, and it's, it's, it's East Asia has so many medicinal mushroom studies and Europe has a bunch, but in the U S it's so little because our pharmaceutical interest is not interested in a natural substance. They want one molecule, but nature, you know, our immune system doesn't work with one molecule. It's always a cocktail. And so good food doesn't just have one active ingredient. It has a wide bandwidth of helpful, powerful um, uh, compounds in there. And that's what mushrooms offer to us. And of course, you got to stay with the edible ones, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we could continue this conversation well. You could continue the conversation because you're you're a, a fountain of knowledge. So we're going to wrap it up with two two questions. All right, we you know for full disclosure, we already asked you this both of these before, but we're going to play along. Luckily, I don't remember because I perfect, don't need two perfect. So of so what's really important here? The takeaway: cake or pie, and why? <laughs> well. <laughs> The last time I said cake, but I didn't think of there's, uh, you know, like shepherd's pie, you could make mushroom pie, right? Um, okay. But no, I like cake much better, though I must say the U.S. has an awesome pie culture, which okay. I wouldn't say about cake. Uh, old world cake is just much lighter on sugar and much more invested in good ingredients. And mm -hmm. if I go here to... Oh, it doesn't matter. Safeway, QFC, Costco, these cakes all suck. They are just, I love chocolate. I love sugar, but in the right dose. And these are all just full of color and so little chocolate taste, for example. And so I really had to train myself at these events. You know, my kids went here through the schooling system that I do not fall for these cakes again and again, because it's just, <laughs> there is no satisfaction. And right. yes, I love dark chocolate and I enjoy it daily, but these these cakes, uh, it's a waste of, of chocolate because there's way too much sugar in there. And so, yes, I do love cake and I love good cake. Um, and I'm hoping there will be a revolution just like within a brewing scene, you know, where the U.S. settled for watered down beer because the U.S. government told them in the Second World War, hey, guys, you're using too much grain. Right. But you water down your beer. They gladly did it. And nobody afterwards said, hey, can we go back to real beer? So <laughs> and that happened with the microbrew revolution. And, you know, the same happened here to bread and uh, and cake that commercial interest just hey we can make it cheaper it still looks good and people won't tell 
And uh, so we need a cake revolution there too, just as we had the beer revolution. And the bread revolution is slowly happening that people realize Wonder Bread is not bread. Wonder Bread is, is, is uh, you know, it's uh, for shareholders, not for bodies, not for people. Okay, I, don't, I agree with you 100%. All right, last question. <laughs> what didn't I ask you that I should have? Um, well, I think, unfortunately, since we already talked before, we covered a lot of things that um, we didn't talk about today. And I think the one important point I, I alluded already to is, is that British culture, American culture is so informed by fungophobia, the fear of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And yes, we got to be careful what we eat. We got to know what we eat. And the same thing applies if we go foraging or if we're in the supermarket. It really pays off to check out what you're eating. And it's not all right that we eat all these thousands of chemicals that have never been tested on humans where we are the guinea pigs, right? Right. Uh, so if you can reduce that, no point to be paranoid. But if if we, if the ingredients list is too long, well, uh, stay away. Or, and, or if you can't pronounce the, 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 the right, words. Right. That's, you know, I'm not telling people you can't eat mushrooms if you can't pronounce the names. No, um, but I'm talking about like the chemicals that are like, I know, you know I, words that are like 37, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just, yeah. And, and, and all that putting on our shoulders, you know, it's just not fair. So have respect for the mushrooms. Don't pick everything. You know, be easy on them. Be grateful we have them. We are so lucky we have access. California, it is so difficult. Uh, you're not allowed to pick in yeah. most places in California. You got to know private ownership, uh, private land owners to hunt there. Luckily, we don't have that here in Washington and Oregon. And, um, and uh, you know, do your due diligence and um, you'll have a a hobby. You discover something that adds so much quality to life, finding your own food, figuring out, out how to prepare it. And, you know, just know your limits. Don't, don't do things where there's clear warnings. Don't overindulge, especially when you start out. You know, when there's a warning that people get a reaction, well, make sure it's not you who gets a reaction. Eat a little bit. And then, you know, the next day, eat more and you're fine. And for most people. And and yes, a few people like morels, great mushrooms. But there's, I don't know, we don't have a percentage, but a handful of people get sick eating them. And um, most people don't have a problem. And so, you know, just... Do your due diligence and, and, you know, you add so much quality to life. And when you're out in nature, suddenly there's a whole new dimension you're discovering. And right. it is a little dangerous in regard of the speed, you know, when you're out there hiking and my wife really wants to go get to a peak or destination <laughs> and there's me who gets stuck again and again. <laughs> so we have sometimes rules. Mushroom picking only on the way back, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking twice the time that we would normally take. Well, thank I, you, Scott. I enjoyed it. I 
can encourage everyone to make sure to check out the book, The Fruits of the Forest. It's it's beautiful. It's informative. <clears throat> it's going to, like I said, I'm going to get off my couch and go take a look, look here uh, around a little bit. There's some stuff in here that I could ask you questions for hours on, but I'll spare you. But I... Well, this I do have one last question. So, yeah. what's the what's the future going to hold for you? What do you, what do you want to do in the future? Good question. I mean, the book was on the radar for a long time. I had other publishers who wanted me to write a book, but the framework was just you know work on hire. I mean, disgusting. Where I have mm -hmm. no rights to what I write, so right. I didn't do it. And uh, uh, Falcon Publishers and their their field guides are. are disappointing so i'm very glad i hold out and said no i'm not gonna do that and very happy haven't done it now with the mountain years who had their first mushroom book i mean they've been around for how long you right, know right. and then the first mushroom field guide well it's just you know fungophobia so i don't know exactly what i'm gonna do um i love soils we have the climate crisis that's a big deal my Mushroom tourism is not really in line with our carbon footprints. Okay. Um, it's such a challenge, the 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 whole travel industry here. Um, and that's why I offer always like two weeks and encourage people even take more time because, you know, to these distances is right. just you you got to make most out of it. Really make sure it's it's worth it. And um I I don't know exactly. I'm not going to write a book like that again. And I'm not going to just uh, say now I'm going to write that same thing for the mid Midwest or the East Coast, mm -hmm. because regional guides are always much better than than uh, non-regional guides. Um, I might I might do something for the tropics, um, Latin America, because there's nothing out there on edible mushrooms. Huh? And I did a fair amount of work there in Bolivia and Suriname and, and, um, and think that would be a contribution. Our Amazon field guide, which is still a foldout, but nothing else really available for the Amazon. We just uh, publishing now a Spanish version mm -hmm. and, um, but I might, so I don't know exactly, you know, maybe I got to go into soil protection re uh, you know, I feel a little guilty with the whole climate thing and, and, you know, for the next generations and, uh, we got to get that carbon back in the soil and mushrooms have a really small carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. But, um, of course that doesn't apply when you drive your three and a half hours in the mountains to get a basket of morels. Um, but in general, it's an awesome contribution to eat more mushrooms, less, especially red meat, um, much better for your health and, um, the carbon footprint is not comparable. Uh, mushrooms just take so little. They're really humble and turn, you know, agricultural residue and, and, and organic garbage, let's call it into, into incredible nutritious food. So sorry, don't have an answer for the future. I keep going what I keep go, doing what I do. I love um, the mushrooms. I love traveling. I love landscaping. Um, and, you know, uh, got a great family and um, love spending time with them. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, Daniel, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thank this you. It was a lot of fun for me. And I, I wish you much success with the sale of the book. Thank you.
and people can get it from my mushrooming.com webpage. So, um, and I usually mail it out uh, the same or the next day and I'll happily sign it for you. And um, there's a couple other small perks you get with that too. So I really appreciate that. And uh, Scott, I hope you get out in the woods and look out a little bit for the mushrooms. I will. Um, and, I'll report um, back too. Right. And yeah. otherwise, if you ever come over here, let's go together and see uh, some music. I, I will take you absolutely up on that. That would be a lot of fun. Right on. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at ExploreWaState. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.